book of Romans. And as we have looked at this, I have seen so many practical applications for our lives. And I think today is no exception. In fact, I found myself multiple times this week saying, boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. It is such a beautiful passage here. And it's not all positive. It's not all flowers necessarily. In fact, for the majority of our time, we're going to be talking about suffering in this present world. The Apostle Paul addresses that. And he gives us the confidence that we can have through that suffering. And then we'll close our time talking about the glory that is produced by that suffering. It's a wonderful encouragement, and I hope that if you are going through some struggles recently, which I think most of us are having something that's going on, this is exactly what possibly you need to get you through this coming week. I'm not sure how many of you have been paying attention to the international news lately, but there was a story um, out of Russia about someone who was a strong out or um, outspoken uh, opposition to Vladimir Putin. He was one who is against the Kremlin and he's trying to not have Putin elected in the next election. His name is Alexei uh, Navalny. Now, Alexei Navalny is one who has a lot of followers, has a lot of influence. He would like to see things change in the government over there in Russia. But he has faced some problems recently. There was a uh, national news story about him on a flight. And there was actually some video footage of him on this flight. And you can't see his face. And you can't really see what his body is doing. The only thing that really stands out about that video footage that I saw this past week from Navaldi is that he is groaning. Did anybody see any of that uh, on the news? Okay, a few of you saw that with me. In this video footage, someone on the plane has a camera going. And he is in so much misery that all he can do is, oh, groan. There's a photograph taken of him at the airport before he got on the plane. And the theory is is that someone actually poisoned the tea that he was drinking before he got on that plane. And so when he was flying over Siberia, they had to make an emergency landing. And I don't know if foul play is there, but none of us would probably be surprised if it was, right? amazingly, when someone gets past everything they could possibly do, sometimes all what's left to do is to groan. That word groaning is going to be central to our message today. If you're taking notes, all three of our main points are going to circle around that word. Because you and I experience groaning. We experience outward groaning. Has anybody already today groaned possibly when you got out of bed or got up out of the chair? Sometimes we're just sitting there still and we groan, don't we? And of course we understand there's also an inward groaning, an inward longing, as we will see in God's Word today, for something better that is going to come. It is my educated guess that many of you are facing some suffering right now, maybe some anxiety or struggles. When we live in the day that we live in, a day when there is a pandemic that is affecting all the world around us, well, that's one thing to add some anxiety. Now, if you add to that some racial tensions and some changes in the world around us because of that, for some of you, that has added anxiety. 
And then when you add to that that we have an election coming up in just a few months and the different conversations and opinions of people that agree strongly with you and people that oppose you strongly. Take those three things and add them together and don't you think the devil is just kind of you know, folding his hands and giggling and saying, I'm going to get these people to get their eyes on all this temporary stuff. All this stuff, I'm going to keep their eyes focused on that. I listed three. I'm going to ask you to do a little work. Why don't you go ahead and think of the thing that's giving you the most stress recently. Don't say it out loud. The thing that's giving you the most stress recently. Add that to these things. What we need to be doing is not only keeping our eyes fixed on heaven, which we'll see today, but we need to understand that the devil seeks to distract us from this short and valuable time that we have here in this world. He seeks to distract us from eternal things. What we'll see in God's Word today is that we have a continual reminder of future glory. And that reminder of future glory is what will get us through any present, suf- any present sufferings or groanings, if you will. We saw last time in our study, and this was um, a, a difficult pill for us to take, a bitter pill, if you will. We saw last time that the suffering in this life becomes the raw materials out of which glory is produced. God being glorified, you and I working for eternal purposes. And God uses the suffering in this world, suffering for his namesake, in order to accomplish his purposes. Now the Apostle Paul has a nickname that he talks about suffering and, and uh, suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to assure you, he doesn't mean to be offensive to you with this phrasing, but the Apostle Paul calls these things light afflictions. It could be that if you were having a conversation, if possible, with the Apostle Paul, and he were to tell you, well, these light afflictions you're facing right now, you know, don't let that conquer you too much. And you might think to yourself, you don't know what I've been going through, Paul. You have no idea how bad it is in the world around me. Don't you dare call those light afflictions. Well, if you were to take that attitude with Paul, you probably would lose that argument. He not only was a great debater, but he gives us a list of the afflictions that he went through when he was in this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. When we compare our suffering to the glory that is ahead, it's not even comparable. Sometimes I'll use the expression when we're talking about something, well, are we comparing apples for apples here? Maybe you've heard that expression before. We need to be comparing apples for apples. Well, the suffering that we face in this world for our Lord versus the reward and eternity, I mean, it's not just that we're not comparing apples for apples, but take that apple and set it on the ground and then put next to it Mount Everest. And then take a step back and let's compare the two. Can we compare the two? You can't even compare them. That's the picture that we find the Apostle Paul giving here. The sufferings in this world, despite what some people think, the sufferings that we face for our Lord, they are not obstacles to God's purpose. But instead, 
Those sufferings are moving us from one degree of glory to the next, stepping up to the next one. All that to bring us to our text. Are you there? In Romans chapter 8, aren't you excited to see what the Apostle Paul tells us about suffering in this world and our hope and glory? We've already talked about verse 17. Verse 17 actually introduced our topic for today where it said, look at it if you've got your Bible open there. It says that we are fellow heirs with Christ, but it's conditional. Look at it. Provided we suffer with Him. And so in chapter 8, verse 17, we find that suffering precedes glory, but then when we get to chapter 8 and verse 18, it is a beautiful lesson that we learn that through that suffering, we do not have our hope destroyed. So when you go through that suffering for your Lord Jesus Christ, which will have eternal rewards, you need to understand that your hope is not destroyed. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You could almost divide this passage into two different sections. You see, Paul is going to highlight the future glory that God's children will have, also the future glory that creation will have, and how both we and God's creation, I'm speaking outside of human souls, are all longing for. That's one half. And then the other part is, is where God's children going through this, how, it actually, how Paul's going to help us make our resolve stronger. He's going to prepare you for the suffering. Okay, all that to bring us to our notes here. If you're taking notes, uh, number one, centered around this word groaning. Groaning is a result of sin. Groaning is a result of sin. Look at verse number 19 with me. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And then Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from this bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so we need to understand that this groaning that is here is here for a specific reason. We live in a broken world. And this broken world is not broken because something went wrong in the evolution of things that were happening. You and I live in a broken world because of one reason. And it's that small three-letter word, sin. Sin came into the world Human beings decided to go into a, diff- into a different direction from God when Adam and Eve first sinned. And all humanity, we are sinners because we are children of Adam and Eve. We are all sinners. And when man became sinners, man dragged with him all of creation. And that is why we find the things going on around us that just don't seem right. They just don't seem like a perfect creation. We understand that when God made it, he said it is good. It was perfect. But then very soon after Genesis 1, where God made everything and said it is good, we find Genesis chapter 3. Let me read for you verses 17, 18, and 19 of Genesis 3, after the sin came. 
And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He goes on to say, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We live in a world where moth and rust doth corrupt. I drive um, an older car. It's about 29 years old, which doesn't seem that old to some of us, right? 29 years? Seems pretty young to me. And yet this past year, I found myself driving my car in town, and I happened to go over a speed bump in town. And let me show you the result of when I hit that speed bump this past week. Because as I, oh, it was actually uh, uh, two weeks ago, this was. And as I hit that speed bump, I heard a dragging sound. And so I jumped out of my car and I found this dragging. Hang on a second. I found this dragging. All right, hold on. Okay, I found this dragging behind my car. I was glad it wasn't my muffler that was dragging on the ground. Now I'm going to give you guys a test. We'll see how well you do with this. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to say out loud what color this is. Okay, wait till I count. And some, it, it's kind of a trick question, just so you know. So when I count to three, I want you to say out loud what color you think this part of my car is. All right, you say it out loud on three. One, two, three. Oh. All right. Well, there's some black in there, there's some brown in there, there's some beige in there, but I heard some of you say the color that's in my mind, and that is the color rust. In fact, we're going to have to have some extra vacuuming done up here on the platform because of all the rust that has fallen off just from this. You see, we live in a world where things decay. We live in a broken world. God wants us to be reminded constantly that this world is broken today, but there is coming a day. There is coming a world that is not going to be corrupted. It's not under the slavery of corruption, if I can use that expression. We will see a day when everything is perfect once again. And here in our passage, we find that Creation itself, so not human beings, not human souls, but creation. So the rocks and the mountains and the weather and even the animals without souls. All of these are longing, they are groaning for that day. That's what the Apostle Paul says. When we look at this, we understand that the reason the world seems to be getting worse is not because we need to ramp up our recycling efforts. If we can just get more recycling done, then we'll save the world. It's not going to do it. Also, the reason this world seems broken is not because of the aerosol sprays that are going on around us. Now, I don't have strong opinions on either one of those things really, but I just want to take your eyes off of the idea that there is something destroying this world besides the sin that came into this world so long ago. Number two, if you're taking notes, groaning is universal. 
Groaning is universal. Look at verse number 21 there. Those two small words, in hope. In hope. You must not, and if you want to write a note in your Bible for this, you might say, instead of in hope, say in confidence. This is not the word hope like we use the word hope. I'm crossing my fingers and I hope so. It is a confidence that we have in hope. There is coming a day when God's, some of you are going to love this. There is coming a day when God's redeemed humanity will rule over a world that has no corruption. No more car parts falling and dragging on the ground. No more gravity affecting our bodies even, right? Brothers and sisters, no more glasses, no more crutches, no more pains. Now, in the verses that we'll see here in 22 and 23, it says the creation. The creation. And that's not speaking of human souls there. That is talking about the animals, the stars, the weather, everything else that God has created. It is all longing for the new day. And Paul says here that all of that is eagerly longing. J.B. Phillips, many years ago, gave us a great translation um, of the scriptures. And in Romans chapter 8, he does such a great visual job with this. Let me read for you what J.B. Phillips says uh, the, the translation of this verse here is for us. He says, the whole creation stands on tiptoe, waiting on God. Waiting, stretching their necks can't wait. A few years ago, our family had the opportunity to take a vacation over a holiday. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, we went down to Chicago. And it was a very nice time down there. We did the typical things that we'll do, some shopping and, and, some, um, and uh, some nice restaurants. But on that particular vacation, we were able to do something we had never done before. You see, we were there over Thanksgiving Day. So we said, well, why don't we go down to the Thanksgiving Day Parade that was right there in Chicago? And they have these huge floats that would be really a neat opportunity for us. And so that's what we did. Now, we had not been before. We didn't know much about it. So we gave ourselves about 15 or 20 extra minutes when we got there to get into place. Not realizing that when we showed up at this street where this huge parade would be taking place, we'd be standing maybe six feet deep behind people. Tina and I were able to find a place for the kids to go to where they could see the parade and see the floats where they were, you know, close here. Some folks were generous about that, but they weren't generous enough to let me stand in front of them. I had to stand about six rows deep on the sidewalk. I could see the floats up high, just fine. But for most of the parade that was right at eye level, here's what I had to do. Stretch. Stretch my neck. Stand on tiptoe. That's the idea with the translation here. All of creation is stretching, is longing, is eagerly waiting for what God is going to do. It is such a beautiful picture that we find here. Look at verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in, and here's a new word picture, the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you see Paul is mixing his metaphors there? He talks about the pains of childbirth, which we'll talk about. And then he talks about adoption after that. Let's focus on that idea of the pains of childbirth. It's an interesting picture to use, isn't it? And I think that it's beautiful for us to see that picture, the horrible pain that is there. And the reason it's a good illustration is because the pain in the delivery room is very, very different than the pain in the funeral home. When we look at the pain in the funeral home, there's a finality to it. There is just a closing, and sometimes there's despair that is there. Sometimes a separation that will never be again if someone is saved or unsaved, and, and um, if you're experiencing a, a different place than them. If you're a child of God and they're not, you'll never see them again. The pain of the funeral home is something that is final, but the pain of the delivery room is different. The delivery room has an expectancy. When you go through that kind of pain, there's something at the end that you're expecting. I had someone this morning hand me uh, some details of a new baby that's just been born in our church here. Proud grandpa told me about his daughter and the beautiful baby that's just been born. Those are difficult pains, I have heard. There's an expectancy, though, that comes afterwards. How beautiful that God allows us to groan inwardly, but there is something that we can look for. It says here, we groan inwardly. So we've talked about growing outwardly. Maybe you're doing that a little more these days. But some of you are groaning inwardly. I heard a preacher... Uh, recently um, over the radio, he just said, you know, I find myself looking forward more and more to heaven because it seems like so many more of my friends are already there waiting for me. I thought that was beautiful. We do groan here, but there is something that we look forward to. And then also, let's not pass over that area of the first fruits that we just read. It says there, the first fruits. And here, Da-da-da! Here comes the hero of Romans chapter 8 making his appearance. If you've been part of our study, who is the hero of Romans chapter 8? It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes his appearance here. And it says the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the down payment for us on the kingdom of God. Like earnest money. You know what earnest money is, don't you? I sold a car several years ago and I was kind of in a desperate way to get rid of this car and get rid of this car payment and I wasn't having much luck with it. And I had one person finally come and drive it. It was a stick shift, uh, a mercury uh, topaz is what it was. And I couldn't quite unload this car. And one person came and looked at it and drove it and then they left and I wasn't too optimistic. Until I got home later that night, and somebody in my house said, hey, somebody came and dropped by 500 bucks for you to hold that car for them. That's some earnest money for you to hang on to that. Or So they're, they're going to come and they're going to give you the rest. 
You see, the Holy Spirit for us is that earnest money, that down payment. And God will never renege. And beautifully, He allows us to have the Spirit now. And when we see those words, first fruits of the Spirit, your mind should go somewhere. Because when there are first fruits, then we just follow that thought and we understand that there are going to be more fruits. Holy Spirit is the first fruits, and then there are more to come. And we look forward to that. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you're a follower of God today, if you've been born again, you were sealed at the moment of your salvation. And so verse number 23, creation is eagerly waiting. And then some of you have said, hey, put me in that category too. This child of God, I am eagerly waiting for what God's going to do. I saw a guy last night who was probably one of the buffest and strongest guys that I've seen in a long time. This guy was probably about six foot two or six three, and I mean he had muscles on top of his muscles. He was just he was cut and chiseled. He was strong. And some of us in our family saw him and it kind of stood out a little bit. Let me tell you that even if you or I had a body like that, it cannot compare that the body that is to come. Now most of well hang on a second. Yeah, most of you don't have a body like that, all right? And that's no offense intended. Most of you are understanding, I can't wait for that day, and I can't wait for my new body. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. You're going to be changed. What that means is, is the last time, if you have a loved one who is a follower of God, and and they've, they've died and passed on, the last time you saw them, What that means is the next time you see them, they're going to look different. And you're going to look different too. No glasses, no effects of gravity on us in different places. Some of you who don't have as much hair as you want, you're going to have that hair. Some of you who have too much hair, it's going to go away where you don't want to have it. We are going to have new, imperishable, perfect bodies. Okay. God's going to tell us the creation is longing for that one day, that new day. You and I are groaning inwardly for that new day. And so let's go ahead and talk about that new day just a little bit. If you're taking notes, groaning today will produce glory tomorrow. We've looked at this. And I understand it's a difficult truth that the suffering for our Lord, which is not all suffering... Some people who are Christians just suffer because they're not very mature Christians. They're not acting in the way they're supposed to. So not all suffering is going to give glory to God. But if you are spending your time in this world trying to please Him and honor Him and obey Him and you suffer some and you do some suffering for that, 
that will produce glory. Look at verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. For hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so our lesson here is that our confidence should not be rooted in anything that we can see. It should not be rooted on anything that is tied to corruption. And not only are our bodies tied to corruption because of sin, but this whole creation is. And so you might ask yourself, what is there in my life that I'm holding as as pretty important, pretty high up there, that's not going to last for eternity? And if there is something there, this is an opportunity for you to grow. An opportunity for you to put that away and to concentrate your time on things that will last. I love talking about heaven. I love looking forward to heaven. I love singing about heaven. I was asked a question years ago, and it's a pretty good question about heaven. It was from a a teenage girl. It's not a bad question. She just had in her mind some of the thinking that uh, the world has put out there and maybe uh, cartoons or TV. She just came to me and said, well, Pastor Jeremy, she said, aren't we? She kind of had an apology in her voice when she said it. She said, aren't we kind of going to kind of be bored in heaven? Isn't heaven going to kind of be boring? What was she picturing? She's picturing floating on a cloud, playing a harp in a white robe for all eternity. I mean, how many tunes can you play on that harp for all eternity? That's what was in her mind. And of course, we don't get that picture from God's Word. We don't have as much detail as we would like in God's Word, but we are told what we will be busy doing in heaven. In Daniel chapter 7, we find in heaven that we are going to be busy. It is clear, explicitly clear, that we are going to be reigning together with Christ over the earth forever. So what does reigning with Christ mean? That means that you are going to be given some responsibility in that future. And what you are doing, sometimes I'll say this very important short time that we have right now. You and I are stewards of what we have today, of our time, of our resources, your money, your talents. We are stewards of these things. And so many people are using them up on things that are going to rust and decay and not last. And so many have beautifully learned that you can spend your efforts and your energies and your thinking right now. And sometimes you'll suffer for it. It looks like suffering. But that suffering will not be compared to what stands for you or waiting for you in the future. Now, we understand that after the fall came into this world, we read this, we read this from Genesis chapter 3, after the fall came, work got much harder. And work will not be hard in the future. It will not be by the sweat of our brow. There will not be those thorns that are giving us a hard time. But instead, we will together live and be active in a society that completely brings glory to God. This is what we look forward to. We groan for that day. 
But I encourage you to study it through. There are some great resources out there on the topic of heaven. And of course, go through God's word first and see what it says about heaven. But I'll tell you, it's not going to be as much detail as you want. As much as we can find, and as much as we see what we'll be doing, honestly, it's like we're squinting through the fog. The other morning I looked out the window and there was a heavy fog out there. And you could only see so far. You could see just, just close to your home and not the houses that were across the way. That's what it's like for us. Squinting through the fog, trying to see what it's like. But do you believe our God is good? Do you believe his plan for his children is good? In glory, when you and I serve, it will bring to us the most satisfaction imaginable. And so we're not going to be bored floating on some cloud, playing a harp, or heading to choir practice again. That's not what it's going to be like. We will be in a unique and fulfilling role. Groaning today is going to produce glory tomorrow. Are you preparing for that? Are you ready for that? Oh, I'm ready. Would anybody here be disappointed if Jesus Christ came right back even before we finished this time in this room? No, you wouldn't. Even if that new grandpa hasn't seen the new grandbaby yet, you wouldn't be disappointed. God's plan is good. God's plan is perfect. And what he has for you right now, yes, it involves some suffering. And the Apostle Paul tells us that suffering is not even going to compare to what's ahead of us. All right, so what can you do with this? What can you and I do with this? A couple things. First of all, don't get attached to anything that won't be around a thousand years from today. All right? And I just picked a round number there, a thousand years. Do not allow yourself to get too attached to anything that will not be around a thousand years from today. If you just spend some time talking with people, you will find out what they're passionate about. And I'll just share with you, it, it burdens me a little bit to spend a lot of time with some believers and never hear anything about God or the Bible or salvation or eternity. If all you're talking about is these things that are going to decay and be gone, then your level of responsibility in the future is not going to be all that great. And so we can be challenged by not allowing ourselves to get too attached. You can still have a 29-year-old car, that's fine. But don't allow yourself to get too attached to it. Number two, repeat this phrase. I'm going to ask you to say this with me in just a moment. Repeat this phrase. The suffering in my faith will be forgotten when God's glory is finally revealed. It's on the screen there. Would you say that with me? The suffering in my faith will be forgotten when God's glory is finally revealed. This is where the Apostle Paul is going. I know it's hard today. I know some of you have shed tears in the past week. I understand that. I know some of you have a story in the past years that you don't want to talk about and you don't want to remember. You need to understand that our God allows us to live in a way that glorifies Him. People around you might mock at that. 
And when you face some suffering because you are living to the best of your ability for our Lord, I'm sorry you go through that. But actually, in one way, I'm kind of not sorry. Not because I'm glad that you shed a tear or that you're facing suffering, but I understand if you're doing this for the Lord, there is coming a day. There's coming a day when God will be glorified and when you beautifully will be given a position where you are serving Him. A continual reminder of future glory will get us through this present suffering. I had the wonderful opportunity to work with young people for several years, about 10 years. I worked with teenagers. And um, I can remember putting scavenger hunts together. And I enjoyed doing that. It was always fun. Um, I never tried to embarrass the people in the scavenger hunt. But sometimes you'd ask them to do some silly things. One thing that stands out over the years is uh, we had uh, teams going out on a scavenger hunt and they had to try to get people that were walking around them in a busy place to look up in the air, to look up in the sky without saying, hey, look up there or what's that up there? They couldn't say a word. All they could do was stand there with their group of friends and try to get others to look. Can you guess what almost all of them did to try to get others to look up in the sky, what do you think they did? They stood there as a group and they looked up in the sky and kind of, oh, just kind of nudging each other and, and going on, not saying a word. And it was impressive how many people that, people that those in those groups were able to get to look up. A sister in Christ, brother in Christ, That's a very similar picture to what you and I are to be doing. They will look at you and say, how can you not have your eyes fixed on your suffering? I know what you're going through. Or maybe they'll say, we're going through the same thing. How in the world can you not have your eyes fixed on your suffering? And they need to see your face bright. And they need to see something within you that is supernatural. And it will come as you have your eyes fixed on eternity and on Jesus Christ. Some of you will know this chorus to this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let me give you the words, and if you know it, I'm going to ask you to sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If you know that, would you sing it with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow dear Heavenly Father, how we look forward to that day. I thank you, God, that what we face here in this world is not it. And I thank you how you remind us from your word and from sharpening brothers and sisters around us that we have something ahead of us that is better. 
Heavenly Father, I praise you for the suffering. I thank you for the privilege of suffering on the behalf for Jesus Christ. What a privilege to have pain, to have struggles for standing up for what is right. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not alone. The wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit, the wonderful down payment on the kingdom of God that we have as we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we are born again. And we thank you that we will see that paid in full someday when we realize that new day. A new heaven, a new earth, a new body, a new mind. No more tears. And we thank you for when we can see our Savior face to face. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano plays through lightly, I want to give you a chance to pray. Let me give you a couple of suggestions of things you can pray for. I asked you a little bit ago to fill in the blank. What's the fourth thing that might be a major stress for you? A major struggle, some suffering. I want you to pray about that. Maybe you won't get the answer, but turn it over to the Lord and pray for that and understand that what God has in the future is great and perfect. Won't even compare to our suffering now. Perhaps you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. To be born again means that you understand that you are a sinner, which all men are. It means you understand the punishment for that sin is a separation from God in a place called hell after we die. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to take your punishment. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe even in this moment, you will want to pray, ask God to forgive you of your sins and make you His daughter, make you His son. Take a moment to pray now. Amen. This song I think is familiar with most everyone here, so uh, sing it out with us as we sing. We will remember.